Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. So welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 239. We are continuing our storytelling series today, and we're talking about Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin. And we are going to throw in the rest of the variations of this ride in with it. We originally went out and we were only going to do Space Ranger Spin, but they're so similar and their histories are almost tied together that you have to talk about them as a whole. So if you're new here, the point of these storytelling episodes is to give you the history, uh, but more importantly, the storytelling aspects of what is going on in these attractions so that the next time you ride it, you catch something new, you get a different emotion, you just get a deeper appreciation for what is going on and the story that is being told to you. So, Catherine, what are your initial thoughts on Space Ranger Spin? So initially thinking about this ride, I didn't expect for there to be as much information as we discovered. I also honestly didn't remember or didn't realize that this ride is actually as old as it is. Um, So we're going to get into some dates and just some of the basic kind of things that you need to know. But to my surprise, Space Ranger Spin is decently old. It is. So it opened in 1998. So I was six years old at the time. You were four years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Something around there. And yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of a rocky road for how this space got used in Tomorrowland. But let's talk about just some of the basic information to make sure that we're all on the same page for what is going on for this ride. So it's original to Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom. Space Ranger Spin is the first version of this attraction to be built. And it had a soft opening in October of 1998 and then a hard launch in November of 1998. And it is It's interesting because the timing of when that happened. And I know you want to talk about it later, but I feel like we got to go ahead and get it out of the way. All right. Well, uh, this ride is based off of Toy Story 2. And to me, that sounds so funny because usually things, especially rides, aren't going to be based off of the sequel. You know what I mean? Because typically the sequels aren't as popular as the originals. And I feel like at first, I mean, would you agree that Toy Story, the original is better than Toy Story 2? Absolutely. So I wonder, you know, was this kind of part of their marketing? And I think it has to be, because if you look at the dates, this ride debuted in November of 1998. Toy Story 2 did not hit theaters until November 13th, 1999. So this ride was in operation Almost, well, not almost, it was in operation a full year before the ride was even in theaters. So when you think about this ride being based on um, specifically Buzz Lightyear and his relationship with Zerg, we're going to get into all of those details, but people didn't even know who Zerg really was. You hadn't experienced this character ever before. You'd never seen him. You just heard Buzz's kind of crazy stories. You know, it makes me think like, what were the Imagineers? What was Disney thinking at this time? And again, it plays into some of the things, some of the issues that they had with Tomorrowland. 
And before we talk about that, I want to just talk about kind of the different iterations of this attraction, because we mentioned it has many different versions. And so many of you, if you're a Disneyland person, then you would be familiar with Astro Blasters. Every single Disney park around the world at at least one point in time has had a variation of this attraction. And Hong Kong has since had it taken away. In 2017, they transitioned their version of it to Ant-Man and the Wasp Nano Battle, which we've we've obviously haven't been to Hong Kong. It's really just a rescan is what it seems like, right? It doesn't seem like they did too much craziness besides they just put in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, I think it's the same ride, you know, vehicle, the same features. Obviously, you're still shooting with the same kind of, they're not Astro Blasters anymore, but it's the same kind of gun that you're shooting with. So I think for the most part, it is just a reskin and a retheme to fit kind of the direction that they're heading with putting more Marvel in the parks. So the different names or pseudonyms that this attraction goes by is Space Ranger Spin is one of a kind. That's the only, the one in Magic Kingdom is the only one called Space Ranger Spin. Other versions are Astro Blasters, Laser Blast, or Planet Rescue. And Planet Rescue was the one that was in Hong Kong, right? Or is that Shanghai? I I cannot confirm. <laughs> they they all run together, honestly. Um, especially since we're Walt Disney World people, we always just think about Space Ranger Spin. So I don't know exactly which one it was that was in Hong Kong that closed down already, but it's one of them. So this is considered to be the most replicated attraction ever for Disney. And so if you think about like, you know, a lot of the mainstays, like a Peter Pan appears in, I believe, every park. However, this attraction even expanded outside of the parks. So A, it expanded into a video game. And so that it was an online video game that you can play on the computer and it tied in somehow with Disneyland with people who were paying playing Astro Blasters in the parks. I still don't quite understand exactly how it worked. It may have just been all a ruse as well. It might have been. It was something like if you were scoring well in the parks, it impacted people who were playing at home. So like the better you did at the parks, the better people at home did. And I don't know if it was vice versa, but they were trying to tie it all in together, I guess to give you that experience at home. And the other version of this was in Disney Quest. So assume many of you are familiar with it, but Disney Quest was an arcade style, huge building that they had in Disney Springs. And they had Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster, not blasters, Astro Blaster in singular. And we played this once. I think it was probably 2015 or 2016 or so when we played this. It was basically bumper cars and you had little balls that you would run over them with your car it would load them up and then you could shoot them out to other players in there it was fun i thought yeah i mean from what i remember it was a good time it's better than bumper cars because you're not like slamming into each other i'm sure that was frowned upon uh but it was just kind of like a giant i don't even know what you would call it it was kind of like a video game in real life you know you're shooting each other it was fun so i miss it but r.i.p to disney quest Oh, yeah. We had a lot of fun every time we went. I mean, we only went once. I only went once. It's still valid. Every time we went, we had a lot of fun. (laughs) It was a good time. Uh, Better use of space than NBA experience? I Well, we've never done it, to be fair, but I would prefer uh, video games over basketball any day. 
All right, so let's talk about this space in Tomorrowland because the way that this came to be is kind of a weird story. So when Tomorrowland first opened with Magic Kingdom in 1971, it was not, it was probably the worst land. I would assume most guests would have considered it that. They only had two attractions in the space. One was the Grand Prix Raceway, which we now know as Tomorrowland Speedway, and the other was the Skyway, in both of which are exact replicas or copies from existing Disneyland attractions. So there was really nothing new being offered in Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom. So shortly after they started uh, putting things in place, so the People Mover got added pretty soon after 1971. I believe it was 1975 when Space Mountain got added, as well as a couple of other attractions. And one of those was Dream Flight. Nope. That's not correct. It's before that. So, again, this is quite confusing because like Space Ranger Spin, there's a lot of names that go into this show building. Um, As we were doing research, it almost just felt like it was never going to end. So it started with if you had wings. Um, So ultimately, they were all about airplanes and aviation, um, specifically traveling um, because different sponsors, which was so popular at the time, they took the space and it was basically a big promo for them to promote their airlines. So initially it was Eastern Airway, which was Disney's premier airline partner. They did if you had wings and then eventually that turned into Dream Flight, where Delta was the lead sponsor of that. We're not going to get into all of the different iterations for how those attractions rose and fall. Essentially, what you have to know is they were snoo- they were snooze fest. Yeah, there wasn't a lot there. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of saw it for what it was. It was a way to take up some space, like some of the least less popular rides even today. It was kind of a place where you go and get some air conditioning. And ultimately, you know, after going through so many iterations of the same ride with a couple different sponsors, you know, Disney, I think, recognized that they were in a serious need to try to put something in that space that would withstand the test of time because these rides were not doing it. The funniest thing about both of these attractions is if you had wings was initially sponsored by Eastern airlines. And then of course we said dream flight was sponsored by Delta. Both of those pulled out kind of unexpectedly and stopped their sponsorship for these attractions. And both times Disney shut them down for like, 24 or 48 hours and basically just change the music out, rip down all the signage for the sponsorships and then just pressed play again and started it again. So it's funny. Obviously that's not the way that they would have wanted it to happen, but I think that probably plays a big role into why these attractions just didn't last. Well, and it makes you wonder if Disney was able to just kind of rip the sponsor name off of it. Like, what role did the sponsors have? I mean, initially... Just funding. Well, Yeah, I was going to say, initially, I know that the main purpose was, like, they built the ride. That's why it was basically just, hey, look at all these cool places we can take you to. Like, come, you know, use our airline. We partner with Disney. But past that, they didn't really seem to offer much to the parks. You know, they weren't giving you anything that Disney couldn't have cheaply done themselves. Yeah, and so... This space, now that you get into the mid-90s, was in desperate need of something offering a little bit more in Tomorrowland. I still think, you know, obviously we don't have firsthand experience for what Tomorrowland was like, but it seems like 
it was the land that took the longest to get its feet in Magic Kingdom. And I almost think even now it faces a lot of challenges because Alien Encounter is messed up or I even called it an Alien Encounter. But uh, <laughs> Stitch's Great Escape is gone. Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. I don't know. You can take it or leave it. But obviously, besides Space Mountain, and now you're going to get the addition of Tron. Maybe Tron will help it. but. It's still such a weird land that's almost like a hodgepodge of attractions. And I think that the way that we view Tomorrowland right now can maybe give us a good glimpse into what Disney and the Imagineers were thinking in the mid-90s when they decided to make such a bold decision to put in Toy Story into this land. So you know more about this process if you want to walk us through it. Well, so this was the first Pixar ride to ever be announced for the parks. And then, of course, it was in Magic Kingdom. And, you know, people felt very strongly about protecting Magic Kingdom. And they definitely did not like the idea of, you know, we're going to bring in Pixar and this is not Disney. Um, There's just one movie out at the time, which was the original Toy Story And they were just very opposed to bringing in intellectual property that was Pixar. It was not very desirable. And there was a big, you know, upheaval about it. Um, At the same time, they were also working on the It's Tough to Be a Bug ride, which is in Animal Kingdom. And if you want more details about that, we talked about it in episode 220. But it was kind of the same thing. Bug's Life wasn't released either in theaters. So It's Tough to Be a Bug released before the movie, although their release dates were less apart. It wasn't quite a year before It's Tough to Be a Bug was released. Um, But it's just interesting to think that Disney felt so confident in Pixar and in these movies that they went ahead and gave them entire attractions. Now, you could also argue it might not have been confidence, but maybe desperation, (laughs) because it seems like they were pretty desperate to put something in this space. I mean, ultimately, it ended up to be a good move. I also think it's just interesting because what we said before, you know, if this came out before the Toy Story 2 debuted and this was like your first look at Zerg, this was the first time that you were able to be shrunk down to the size of a toy and really get that experience, especially, you know, this was before Toy Story Land, um, before Midway Mania, any of those things. Um, No one had ever really gotten that look at Toy Story yet. So I think with all of those things combined, again, this ride was kind of ahead of its time. So it's in Tomorrowland in that sense. And I think when you talk about the fan reaction for this attraction, putting Pixar into somewhere as pure as Magic Kingdom, I think is almost a completely different conversation than when you think about putting Pixar into Animal Kingdom. I don't think people have the backing or like the nostalgia aspect. You know, Animal Kingdom at that time is a brand new park. You almost feel like Disney has a clean slate. But when you think about Magic Kingdom and it's the second version of Disneyland and it's supposed to represent everything about Walt and and everything of that time period. Yeah, I think at the time it would be pretty shocking that they're going to bring in an intellectual property that they did not develop themselves. It'd be one thing if it was one of their own stories. I'm 
blanking on what could fit there. <laughs> um, let's just say, I think it was released later, but let's just say it's Treasure Planet. Disney made it themselves, so I feel like people would be much more on board with it. But Pixar, and even at this time, they didn't own Pixar. They just have the rights to it. It's it's really bold that they made this decision, I think. I wonder, since we talked about sponsorships, I wonder if Pixar gave them any money to put towards it. That's not anything that we researched and maybe we should have beforehand. But I don't know if that was part of it. If Pixar is like, hey, we'll help you work on this. I have no clue. I don't know if Pixar had much money at this time. That's true. To do that. I mean, because they were just a couple years removed from Toy Story, which obviously was a massive success. They were running into a bug's life. They were also racing to get that out before DreamWorks released Ants. So I don't know if they had much cash to throw around at that point in time. But I don't know. It's it's just really interesting on why they turned to something. And you mentioned it earlier, but I think it's worth repeating of that we had not even seen Zerg on screen yet. And he is the focal point of this attraction. Mm-hmm. I think you can say he's the focal point over Buzz. You see him more times mm-hmm. throughout the attraction. And the only thing in Toy Story 1, there's just a reference to him that, that Buzz mentions that he is his enemy. But you never see him until the opening scene of Toy Story 2 when isn't that when Rex is playing the video game or something? Uh, I believe so. I know there's something about being in an elevator. <laughs> I don't know. I think it is Rex playing the video game. All in all, the point is that we had not seen Zerg on screen yet. So the people who rode Space Rangers Spin for that first year that it was open were seeing Zerg for the very first time because there was no other point of reference him and it's almost surprising that he isn't more prevalent in the movies do you think that like he he's really mentioned in toy story 2 but he's not really mentioned in three or four nearly as much no and i think that's because you can kind of see that evolution of buzz lightyear where he recognizes that that's not his reality anymore so i think that's almost the humor in zerg and that kind of beginning part of the movie Um, But it also just dawned on me. So since they hadn't been introduced to Toy Story 2 yet, I almost wonder if people rode this ride. Obviously, it's called Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, but you don't see any of the other characters. Besides besides, the aliens. Well, besides the alien, but there's no Woody um, or any of the others. So I wonder if people were upset or disappointed by that. I don't know. Because those would be the characters that they knew. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 really, really strange. I would have loved to have been in the room when they pitched this mm-hmm. to know. And before we get too much further down into the rabbit holes, now that we know all of the different other names that this attraction can take on, I mean, Space Ranger Spin is by far the worst, right? I think it's the least enticing because if you think about like laser blasters or astro blasters, I think that sounds more thrilling. Whereas Space Ranger Spin sounds kind of safe. But I wonder if they were playing on the ride vehicles, which were a brand new technology that they were probably excited about. I mean, I wonder, I, I'm kind of thinking that the name ties into that. I just don't like spin. Is the only <laughs> thing. I don't think spin properly 
is the proper verb, I guess. Okay. For what the attraction is, is really my only problem with it. Because they already had the track. So Space Ranger Spin uses the exact same track in the exact same show building that if you had Wings and Dreamflight used as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they knew that it wasn't going to be a spinning ride. I don't know. Spin makes, I know you spin with your joystick, but spin makes me think teacups or swirling saucers or something of that. No, but maybe Fair I'm just enough. being nitpicky. Fair enough. What other things about the history stand out to you? Gosh, the Pixar is really just the thing that blew my mind the most is just, you know, to me, researching is tough to be a bug and knowing that they put that in beforehand. That was shocking to me. And then knowing that they did the same thing in Magic Kingdom um, and then just the history of that building. I mean, that really just stood out to me. It's wild. I, I don't know how it got passed through all of the different quality checks and came onto different executives desks and it got approved, honestly. I think it was a roaring success. I'm not saying that it that they made the wrong move. I just think you probably had to talk a lot of people into that before it got greenlit. But I think it's also it shows just how poor that space had been used in the past and how, like you said, desperate they were to get something to get the people into Tomorrowland. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, too, is. Looking back at, like you said, it was obviously a massive success because not only did they push it into all of these other parks, but they used it in a lot of their promo materials. We went back and we watched some of the like commercials and stuff that they ran. And I mean, I kind of mentioned it before, but this ride, I think, was ahead of its time when it was released. You know, you were in a video game, you were interacting with these different targets and things that had never been done before. Um, So it really boosted the immersion. And again, everything is oversized. So you feel like a toy. You are seeing, you know, these different characters that they had fallen in love with. So I think maybe the storytelling aspect is what got these people, you know, where Pixar might've been lacking at the time, obviously not right now. I think maybe the storytelling and some of those technology features won them over. Yeah. As we transition into that storytelling conversation, I do think it is really important to think about this as the first time that guests were viewed as toys. And if you think about everything else that that has unwrapped and in the even, you know, it's, it's sort of the same idea behind it's tough to be a book is that you are transformed into the same type of character that you're seeing both on the big screen and right there in front of you. It's really interesting. So you want to walk us through the ride kind of and things that stood out because I think both of us didn't realize that the story is much richer than we initially thought. I just thought it was a game. Oh, exactly. And I think that's the part of it that everyone can fall in love with, you know, because kids writing it don't care about a story. Um, your average person probably isn't looking for much more than maybe that adrenaline rush or that competition. And, you know, I think that's where they kind of hit the nail on the head with being something that appeals to everyone. It's not super thrilling. It's something that your grandma can ride or, you know, your little cousin, whatever it might be. I told you during research that I think moms love this attraction. Have you ever met a mom who doesn't like Space Ranger Spin? Both of our moms love it. What was your reason for moms loving this? I just think it's because they can score. They can be competitive. 
it's fun. It's fun to watch your kids play it. I just think this is an attraction that moms love. It's not overly thrilling. Just moms love it. I don't think I think moms of all ages love it. Maybe we can even say grandmas love it. So, you know, again, I think the story, even for us, we learned a lot in just researching this. So, of course, once you enter the show building, you are entering Star Command. And again, that's something that in Toy Story 2, they really hone into. Um, in the original Toy Story, again, in that one scene where they mention Zerg, it's Buzz Lightyear basically lecturing Woody about how he's wasting his time and he has to go to Star Command. So now we are introduced to this world of Star Command. So we're in Star Command and Buzz Lightyear is there giving you instructions for how you are going to defeat this evil emperor Zerg. And you start to see pictures of him in the queue. So it's um, very cartoonish. Again, there are um, oversized things where you can start to understand like, okay, I am a toy now. I'm talking to Buzz Lightyear. Um, he's life-size. The animatronic that he has, you know, at the time was very new because it's that one. And I know these are controversial uh, for some people because it's the projection mapping, the projection mapping. So his features look more accurate to the movie, which is cool, but you know, in other news. Um, so he's briefing you on how you're going to defeat Zerg using your Astro Blasters. But what we always missed is he's also explaining to you why you're defeating him. I always missed it. Never knew it. And it's it's actually really funny. Um, you are trying to defeat this evil Emperor Zerg because he's committed the heinous crime of stealing batteries from toys. Um, and they call these batteries crystal crystallic fusion cells. Is that how you would say that? Crystallic, yeah, crystallic fusion cells. So of course they have a fun like space name where again you can kind of see Buzz's personality where he's taking everything way too seriously. Um, and he's stealing them from the green aliens. And the aliens want them back. Buzz wants them back. And this is how he's going to save the planet is by getting the toys batteries back is, I mean, come on. Is there anything better than that? I mean, it's a solid story. I, I mean, I guess, you know, to answer my question from before about how did this get through so many people of gatekeepers of greenlighting this project? I think it's because the story is so solid. Do I wish it was, I don't know. I was going to say, do I wish it was explained a little bit better? I just think maybe we don't listen well enough and we don't take it in well enough the way that they intended for us to do. Maybe we're the only two people on the planet who didn't understand that this is a story, but I, it's a really, really solid. I mean, it still stands up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, what's important is it's not just like, okay, this ride was introducing you to toy story two. Now we can move on. It is still applicable to the movie, obviously in being a toy and needing batteries to function. Um, and I also think it's funny because like you said, we've missed this time and time again, but even throughout the ride, something that I noticed just going back and looking through it now, you can see that there are batteries everywhere. So it's tying in. I mean, I understand. I, yeah, I always noticed the batteries. I just, I didn't know the reference. We didn't question why they were there, but now we know. I just thought they were space batteries. 
they are space battery. Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> but I, I didn't understand that Zerg was stealing them. To keep them away from the little green men. There's another part that we miss completely as well. The space scene, right? Well, so we're getting to that. So, of course, you are explained how to use your Astro Blasters. He kind of gives you a quick rundown of what your mission is, which is to hit the targets and take down Zerg. So you go through all these different scenes where you're faced against these robots and aliens and, you know, weird machines and, you know, you're hitting your targets, which is very, very hard. We'll get into that here in a minute. But we personally, we struggle. And then you, it turns out that you have to go through that uh, tunnel, I guess you would call it. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've never been on Space Ranger Spin, you might want to watch a video of this, but it's, I'm going to call it a wormhole. It's kind of the least climactic part of the ride where, you know, you go through all of these amazing scenes with these neon and very bright, you know, characters that you're shooting at. And then all of a sudden you're just in a tunnel. We learned it's because you are escaping. So at this point in the ride, you are failing. <laughs> you are not succeeding in defeating Zerg. So you need to get out of there. You need to get back to Star Command. Um, you're looking for backup, basically. So you're going through that tunnel. And of course, you're going through space and you are trying to find this backup. And then in that last scene where you see Buzz, he is the backup. So he comes in and he helps you. And that's when you defeat Zerg in that last room. So it is a a completed story. You know, you get the beginning, the middle, all the action, and then the end where Buzz Lightyear helps you defeat Zerg. And I think that's something that could be overlooked is that at that point, everybody is a winner. No matter what your score was throughout for us, very, very low, comically low <laughs> scores, you have helped all together, but Buzz is ultimately the one who pushed you over the edge. And he's the one that helped you at the very end, save the day, and Zerg has been caught. He's in the claw at the very end. And so I think that's a, a nice, you know, people will say that's like a Disney type thing. You know, that's very Disney-like that everyone's a winner. Everybody gets a participation trophy. But I do think it's nice because, you know, sometimes you do see people who've scored in the thousands. Like not even the tens of thousands, you know, <laughs> well, kids, I mean, and I think it's just a nice little bow on the end that everybody worked together, but we couldn't do it without our our hero buzz. Yes. So, I mean, ultimately, uh, I think that gives us a better appreciation for the ride just because it does tell that story. It's not just a game. And, you know, a lot of times this gets compared to. Midway Mania, and we're not going to get into all of that today, or even the other versions. Well, they I will are... compare it to the other versions. <laughs> okay. Well, and how they are far superior, but just from a storytelling aspect, I think it's pretty solid. And I think if you do start to think about that immersion factor, it's there on this ride. And I feel like this might have been one of the first rides in Tomorrowland where you can truly feel immersed in what it is that you're doing and it's withstanding the test of time and i think not only does it involve toy story which i mean people including us we just love but 
you know, with it the being the person who has a slinky dog wrapped around their head right now. It fit. I had to do it. And <laughs> you got me distracted. Now I'm thinking about my slinky dog. I it, just think it, it fits. It's it's not going to outrun itself. Now the technology might, and we'll talk about that. But the story plot is solid. I agree. I was going to say the same thing. And, you know, maybe this is a time where we talk about some of the different versions. We've only been on one other version that's still standing. We went on the Disney Quest version, but it's yes, it's not entirely the same thing as this. But Astro Blasters in Disneyland is far superior just based on one fact alone. The guns are better. The and why are they better? Are better. They're better. They're better because they detach from your car and they're not mounted to it. And so when you have a shoddy driver, maybe you, maybe me, who knows? I'm not pointing any fingers here. When you have a jerky driver, it doesn't affect you nearly as much. But when you are trying to use the mounts in the Magic Kingdom one, it gets really, really difficult. Maybe just for us. You're still giving me a look. Do you think you're not a bad driver? I was just called a shoddy driver. I didn't point any fingers. No names were named. Just saying maybe I've had some times where I rode this attraction and I didn't have a great driver. It could have been anybody. It could have been anybody. But I completely agree. I mean, I do think that not only enhances this story, but it enhances the experience. We were blown away. The first time we rode it in Disneyland and we could pick the guns off of the cart because you do get better aim. There's better accuracy. And when you put both of those things together, it's ultimately a better experience. It's more fun because it's not as frustrating as not being able to hit the target because there's sometimes too where you just can't pull it far enough over to hit what you want to reach as you're going especially since there are some targets to hit that are better than others. So if your driver is not good, whoever that might be, or if, you know, your gun isn't allowing you to turn far enough, your blaster, I guess we should say blaster. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. But then I guess you could ride again. Then maybe that's why they, you know, keep getting you back in line. Yeah, I mean... We haven't been on the other versions of the attraction. We watched a video where someone said that the Shanghai version is not very well done. That it's not, I think Shanghai is not about the story between Buzz and Zerg as much as you're just seeing Buzz more often. But you're basically shooting at the exact same type of target the entire time. They're not like the fun robots. Yeah, there's no robots. There's no aliens. It's just like the same thing over yeah, and over little again. Like and they're tools. just placed uh, at different points throughout the attraction. But yeah, I, I think still I would say Magic Kingdom has the worst version of this. You would have to think it has to get refurbed eventually, right? I mean, maybe once Tron is built and some of the pressure is taken off of the rest of Tomorrowland, I think Space Mountain's going to get a refurb as well. You would have to think they're going to address this eventually. I before we did this, I would you could have talked me into taking this completely out of Tomorrowland, but I don't think that anymore. Oh, well, that's that's big. I think it's solid. The story is great. Um, I think the entertainment factor, too, is also great. And I think that is important, especially for something like an Omnimover. I mean, you need to just funnel people in there all day. And I think it does that. You know, sometimes 
you know, it might get down, but then it picks right back up throughout the day. Um, but I do agree that I think with a little, even just a smidge of like a technology upgrade, um, including the guns, I think it would blasters. I think it would have the same appeal that Midway Mania has. The technology there is out of this world. I do want to be clear, though, when I say update technology, I really just mean the blasters because I don't want screens. No, I don't want screens and I don't want 3D glasses. I love the actual targets that you're hitting. But don't you think there's something that with the targets? I don't know. I almost feel like because my issue and this might just be a personal problem. Well, we have a lot of issues on this attraction. But part of my issue with this ride is it's hard to know if you've hit the target. Like, I wish there was something if it if the target would just light up. OK, a response. I get, Really, what I'm saying is that I don't want to be shooting at a screen. Yes, I, sub- I agree. I want the big Loch Ness monster type alien going back and forth in front of me. And yeah. I want the volcano in the back. I don't want it to turn into something like Midway Mania, which is great. We haven't done that one yet, but it's a it's a great attraction. But I think this one is it it's deeper than that. It it needs the the larger than life setting, like a dark ride that you're going through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's when you think about it in that way. It is a dark ride with a story that also has an immersion factor of a game. What more could you really ask for besides better technology? Just better technology. (laughs) I agree. That's all. That's all it really needs. And then I think it would be one of the best rides in Magic Kingdom. I think it's already a very good ride. And I already think it's at the top of most people's to do list when they go on vacation. I do think it's a must do for Magic Kingdom. Um, because of all the things that we've already talked about today, I just think it would probably be at the top if it was a little better. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. So let's get our listener feedback and our scores from Facebook, and then we will give it our Neverland score, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, so let me pull them up on Facebook real quick. So each week, if you are interested in joining the conversation, we share which attraction we're talking about. And we have a fun rubric that we work on when we give it our Neverland scores. So we ask listeners to also give it their scores as far as and their feedback or personal stories. Um, so we can kind of see if you agree with us or disagree. And it kind of opens the conversation. Yeah. So we love to get these just to know if we're completely in opposition of our listeners or if you guys feel the same way. So. First story comes from Jackie and Sean, our friends from Monorail Radio. So they got engaged in Disney like we did. And so Jackie told a funny story and she said it was the first that now it's their first ride of every trip. And actually, when Sean proposed, I was still kind of in shock. And he told me, get it together. I want to go on bus light year. So nothing says true love like going to defeat the evil Emperor Zerg after you've just committed to marriage. Well, and trying to defeat each other's high scores. Some friendly competition. And apparently Sean did become a galactic hero on this ride. So jealous of anyone who's ever been a galactic hero. We know how to. Do we, though? I know which (laughs) ones to hit. I just never hit them. 
I know the strategy. I just don't have good enough aim, apparently. Yeah. It's like Midway Mania. I know what to do. I just can't execute. It's an execution problem. So next, our friend Kelsey gives us a point of view from Astro Blasters, and she mentions a little bit about Space Ranger Spin, about the guns being stationary and how it's awful. But um, she told uh, sort of a long story, but it's worth it. So hang with me. Uh, she gave it a solid eight for her, and she said she absolutely loves the attraction. The only categories it scored lower in were Fast Pass worthy because of the Disneyland annual pass holder who went to Disneyland between college classes. I never use Fast Passes. And then Thrill worthy for it's more of an emotional thrill and not a thrill ride. She said it's hard to describe just how much the attraction means to her. My first date with her now boyfriend of seven years was at Disneyland in college, and this was their very first attraction together. So it's really interesting, and you can head to our Facebook group and hear the rest of it, but it plays a major role in their relationship. I think it's always nice on like a very first date or when you're getting to know someone to see that competitive side of people as well. And this is like a good introductory one. I think Midway Mania might be a little too competitive for that, but Astro Blasters, a little bit more appropriate what do you think depends on how you play a lot of people and well maybe not a lot of people we've talked to some friends who um work together on these types of rides to help one person be successful while the other people while the other person is like the helper we don't quite play like that so maybe again it's an us thing where we're just too competitive but i guess it depends on how you play yeah she ended it with just saying nostalgia aside astro blasters is such a genuinely fun ride space ranger spin on the other hand desperately needs a refurb there i think we would agree with that yeah and then our last one is from our friend ryan who used to be a cast member and would on his rotations work on this attraction he said i've probably ridden it more than any other attraction i can get galactic hero almost every time he rides it teach us your ways that's what I'm saying. We know the way. We just don't know how to do it. I mean, we just don't know how to execute it. It's our aim. Got poor aims. Maybe. Or, you know, just keep blaming the driver. I could. I think that's a solid choice. All right. So our Neverland scores. So my Neverland score, I gave it a 6.75. Um, as far as the highest marks, I give it a high mark for smile factor. I do always think it's fun walking into the queue and seeing Buzz Lightyear, um, all the green aliens, the bright colors. I love all of that. Um, and then also reminds me of the old days. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that this ride is as old as it is, that it was um, made in 1998, because I can't ever remember a time going to the parks without it. The only thing that I can think I remember is the hype around the opening because it had really, really long waits mm-hmm. in the late 90s. And so I would have been, you know, seven, eight years old. And so I that's the only thing that I think I can remember. But I don't waiting in line. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a dream flight at all. No, if I went when that was open, that's definitely one that my family would have skipped. They skip a lot. Um, And then I did end up giving it pretty high remarks for the immersion category. 
again, a lot of it ties into our research. So we try to be unbiased, but sometimes we just can't help it after we learn so much about these rides because it does make us appreciate them more. Um, so yeah. What about you, Brendan? I gave it a 6.75. Oh no, I gave it a six. You gave it a 6.75. Yes. Tried to steal your score there for a second. Uh, I rated it high for nostalgia and for immersion. And I think what I rated at low end was how long I'm willing to wait for it. Mm-hmm. I think it and my score is strictly based on Space Ranger spin. Was yours as well? Yes. Astro Blasters would get a higher score, but specifically in Space Ranger spin, I hate that cue almost more than anything. It always feels very muggy. There's not good air circulation in there. And I don't know if it's just because of the number of people that they try to fit in that space. And of course, right now they're social distancing, so it's better. But typically, if that little room is filled, I mean, it's not a very big inside queue. And if you stand there for a long time, I feel like you just feel really hot. Do you know what else I'll say about this one? And I know you probably won't like me bringing this up. Fast pass is horrible for this ride. It it ruins the standby queue. It does. Because they just funnel fast pass people through there. It's almost like they give out too many in a day. I can't tell you how many times that we've been standing there right at the merge point. And it takes like three or four cycles to get us through because they let so many fast pass people through. So I will go to my grave saying that Omnimovers do not need fast pass. I'll keep shouting it from the rooftop, I guess. Do you think it'll make a difference? Nope. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts? Well, just as far as final thoughts, I mean, I think just looking at the ride now, I agree with you that, you know, it kind of solidifies its spot in Tomorrowland. I think the story is a lot more immersive than I originally thought. So I appreciate that. And I also just think it's just so interesting the time period that it released. So just knowing that a full year before we ever saw Zerg on a screen in a movie, he had its own attraction. And it's kind of funny because you don't see Zerg anywhere else. You don't see him in Toy Story Land. You don't see him... I can't even think of where else you see him. He's not not in in, the other movies. Well, he's not in Mania at all, is he? I can't think of a single time where he is. He maybe is in the alien ring toss. Just briefly. That's the only one I can think of. I know his picture is up on the wall during the practice round because I always throw my things at him. Boo, Zerg. But I mean, it's just it's just so funny that he basically got his own attraction and he's not even a big character. He's really only in Toy Story 2. And it's just so interesting that they made a whole attraction for Toy Story 2. Which is the worst Toy Story movie. Or you're going to say Toy Story 4. Yes. Yes. Toy Story 4. Now we'll get your real feeling. The Toy Story, which shall not be mentioned. But yeah, I think it's, it's just really, it just goes to show there's been so many attractions that we've talked about during this series. We just had no idea how deep the story is. And especially like these dark ride type attractions that you just don't really, if you're not really paying attention, I think you can so easily miss it. That it's not spoon fed to you, which I kind of like that about it. 
it's like you can continue to evolve and continuing to get a deeper appreciation for it. And you can get, I mean, it also leaves it open for interpretation, which some people may or may not like until you actually understand the story. Now I guarantee the next time we're in this queue, we're going to stop and actually listen to what Buzz Lightyear is telling us because I want to hear him talk about getting the batteries back for the little green men. So once again, the Imagineers outdo themselves. It's so much deeper than it appears on surface level. And I think that's what we love so much about Disney. And that's just really what we enjoy. So any other things that you want to add for this attraction? I think that about covers it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you're ever looking for a way to help out the podcast, if you got any sort of enjoyment or gained any piece of information on this that you think that will enhance your next trip, we would really appreciate an iTunes review. It is absolutely the best thing to help us out and to push the podcast to more listeners so they can discover us. Also, if you are not already, we would really appreciate your subscription on YouTube. We're diving into there, putting up these videos. Um, and we would really enjoy it if you would join us over there as well. We're looking forward to creating some more parks content in the near future as well. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will chat with you next Monday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us.